Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. I'm Hope BC Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. Pleasure today to speak with uh, with Karen Gordon, who uh, who many will recognize in terms of uh, attending uh, different conferences across Canada and talking about communications and, um, I guess, uh, communications strategy. Uh, her company is Gordon Strategy. And uh, Karen's pleasure. Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast. Thanks, Chief. It's my pleasure to be here. I think there's a lot of great things happening within the fire service uh, in the country, happening with fire chiefs and happening with communications. It's a really exciting time to be dealing uh, in and around communications and social media. So with that in mind, I mean, you have been doing this now for, for a few years, uh, <laughs> dare I say. Uh, let's have a little bit of background here and, and how things how you got started and how things have, have changed. Sure. I've been working, Gordon Strategy has been around for 17 years. And for about the last 14 years, I've had the privilege of working in and around fire. Um, and what I mean with that is I work a lot with fire chiefs and I work on a range of issues. So I break it down into three areas. The part where I do the most public speaking on is communication, social media, positioning and branding for fire chiefs. That's the first area. The second area is labor and employment for chiefs and municipalities as it relates to firefighters, collective bargaining, arbitration, those issues. And finally, the third area is working with chiefs and municipalities in and around the response to major incidents and those career incidents that ultimately may lead to a public inquiry, a coroner's inquest, or, or ongoing litigation. Um, one of them that I think most listeners would be familiar with is the mall collapse in Elliott Lake. I had the honor to work with uh, one of my favorite guys, Chief Paul Officer, who many of you are familiar with, um, working on the communications in and around what happened, how to communicate to all the different stakeholders around. Um, I came on long after the incident in that case, but subsequently went through the inquiry with the chief. When do you get called into these uh, situations? And, and when you do, is it almost too late? Are you now in reaction mode? You know, it depends. It, it depends a lot on the service, some services. And, and one of the really interesting things that's happening within FIRE is the role of social media. And as the large urban services are trying to comprehend how do we deal in and around media and communications, how do we deal around social media and those issues, it, it has really changed when I get called. I Previously, you know, in the, when I was beginning to do this and starting to meet the chiefs and, and get into incident management, you would be called after the incident and, you know, when they were heading into a coroner's inquest or an inquiry or, you know, bargaining had broken down with the IAFF or that type of scenario. Now, with social media and the speed and the way things are happening, people tend to call a little bit earlier and and often, you know, I can't tell you the number of times I've been called from the fire ground um, and been called to say, you know, we're in the midst of an incident and we think there's going to be, you know, 
things that come out of this. The, the interesting part about that is communications, and I have yet to meet a firefighter, and, and certainly a firefighter, let's say a firefighter with more than five years experience who doesn't show up on the scene of an incident and not know that this one feels different. Not, or not, you know, you know when you arrive, this one's different. This isn't our standard, you know, our standard incidents. There's other mitigating circumstances. It's larger. There's, you know, fatalities. There's all kinds of things in and around it. And it's in those incidents where communications and how you communicate to the various audiences become critical. And oftentimes on those incidents, I'm called either from the fire ground or shortly thereafter. There are times, I think, going back in history, you know, in fire service and the media, for example, and in general terms, there was this as well before social media, the media was not welcome at a fire scene. It was, in fact, everything we did, we tried to hide from everyone else. And I think that has taken a 360 or 180, rather, in terms of how we deal with it now. And I think, you know, that's a lot of that has to do with social media. A lot of it has to do with the changes in traditional media. And a lot of it has to do with chiefs who are now more actively involved in their communications. What we've seen is communications and the need for communications has just grown exponentially because social media has allowed everyone a voice and everyone a platform. I will say, if you've heard me speak even once, you've heard, there's a couple of things I like to talk about, but one of them is always considering the next of kin, always. And and social media oftentimes doesn't afford the chief or the service, the opportunity or the police to notify the next of kin. And where that's worse, in and lots of, you know, we can make an argument that for a large urban service, communications, you know, is more important and faster and all of that. I would argue, I could easily argue the other side, that for a small volunteer or composite service, you layer social media on top of that, and it makes it almost impossible for the chief or the police to be the first to notify the next of kin. And, and to me, that is the biggest risk we run um, in terms of communications and social media. It, it's a huge consideration. And I think everyone, everyone who's listening, everyone who wears a uniform certainly needs to keep that in mind. But it's not, it's not the fire service that's doing it. It's the public who take pictures and post pictures and tweet and go to Instagram and do all of that over a major incident, which I find you know, I struggle with that because I think the last thing I would do if I came across a major incident or, a, you know, a multi-car, multi-vehicle accident is take a picture and put it on social media. But this is the new reality that we face. It's, it's, it's what bothers me uh, a lot of the time is that uh, the general public uh, seems to take it upon themselves that they are now a correspondent that have to pass on this information to the public at large. It It is unbelievable. And, you know, before we went on air, you and I talked about um, I lost my father in a, in a motor vehicle accident in, you know, early or late 2018. And, and being notified was a, was a critical piece of that. And I didn't see it on social media and I didn't see it on, you know, I learned about it from the responders on the scene, which is where I should have learned about it which is how my family should have been notified. But instead, the, the public takes away the ability to deliver the worst news 
to a family member by because they want to put content on their feed. I don't understand it, and I think it is one of the larger struggles that you face as first responders. How would you have felt if you had seen that, uh, the way you monitor social media like you do, that this incident took place? Well, I, you know, I'll tell you a story. My, I grew up in Ottawa, and I grew up on the volunteer end of Ottawa, which is the largest composite service in the country. And my uncle, I come from a large family, and my uncle was a volunteer firefighter in the township of Osgood for a large number of years. My cousin, also a volunteer firefighter in the township of Osgood. And there had my uncle's house burnt to the ground. And so it was, you know, a career and volunteer firefighters responding. And my father at the time called me and he's like, hey, the Ottawa Sun's reporting that your uncle's house burnt down. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, the, you know, the Ottawa Sun has this story and in it is the address of your uncle's house. And so your uncle's house burnt down. And I thought, Wow. And so we then subsequently call family members and say, according to the Ottawa Sun, Corky is my uncle's name. Corky's house is on fire. And and it it really it's not the way that anyone should find out anything. It, it really, truly isn't. But it's it's almost impossible to stop that flow. So as first responders and those of us who provide communications advice to first responders need to be cognizant that this world isn't right, but it's the world in which we're operating. I was raised in, you know, in, in media that uh, we were credible. We were told to be credible by law. We had to be. Uh, and we often, we often, we should say, we always considered the impact of us going with information as to what it would have on, uh, you know, as a result of. So it's it's amazing. And it's still, I guess that's where being a media person comes out in me to say, how dare you? <laughs> how dare yeah. you? But yeah. but because of because of social media, we're subject to to people making us public figures and sometimes of people that may not be public figures, right? Yeah. And the other, you know, the other thing on that note is you're subject to, and and if you're responding, I mean, I've used this example a thousand times, you're responding to a fire where it's far too engaged to send firefighters in. And what you're doing, right, is just maintaining and making sure it doesn't spread. And people with no idea about how to put out a fire or fire service are videotaping you on their phone talking about why the firefighters aren't going in, right? Like how exactly. well, the firefighters aren't going in because it's unsafe. That's why they're That's not right. going in. Yet that gets interpreted through Facebook and through, you know, social media trolls as what are you doing? Why wouldn't you send the firefighters in? And, and these sort of citizen journalists, create significant problems, right? They create significant communications problems. And, and it doesn't matter if you have three firefighters or you have 8,000 firefighters. Citizen journalists can cause all services an issue and, and weighing in where they have really no right to be weighing in on, on what's going on in terms of incident command. Exactly. One of, one of the topics that I, I wanted to touch on today in the time that we have certainly has to be the uh, the Me Too movement, and you spoke on this uh, numerous times. I, I happened to be in Ottawa when you did uh, talk about this, at, certainly at length. Uh, and and uh, when you describe a movement, I mean, I'm talking in terms of uh, something like, like an avalanche that slides down a mountain that mm -hmm. grows and grows and grows and starts to encompass everything in its path. Is that what this is or has become or still is today? Even worse. It's worse than an avalanche. It is the biggest 
event in media and social media and culture and all of it, I believe certainly I'm, you know, I just turned 50 in my lifetime. This may be one of the biggest, most defining, um, defining movements. It hasn't died down. It hasn't lost momentum. Uh, I guess I was that going for. Well, you know, I think it's, it's become a bit more routine. Like we hear about it, we hear about it, we hear about it. But, and people will talk about the pendulum swinging back. It's always talk about the pendulum swinging. And, but I know in, in, in my opinion, a Me Too issue today is as bad as it was a year ago, two years ago, three years ago when it first started, when we were hearing Harvey Weinstein, which is sort of ground zero on Me Too. We were hearing that, I think, even today. And it it really is something that every leader, male, female, regardless of, of where you work, every leader needs to be concerned with with the Me Too movement, with their workplace culture, uh, and all of that. This is not, and you just alluded to it, this is not one gender in particular, is it? No, because what what has happened is, one of the things that has happened is that we take the Me Too movement and we, um, and this is from a PR perspective, I like to, I the first to tell you I didn't have the grades to go to law school. So from a non-lawyer <laughs> PR perspective, there's very little differentiation between the accusations. So what you do is you essentially take sexual assault, sexual harassment, bullying, verbal abuse, and you put it all together. And there's very little differentiation. You say me too. And that me too may be verbal abuse, right? My boss, my colleague, they are verbally abusing me, therefore I fall into Me Too, and it goes all the way up to sexual assault, which is criminal code and an entirely different, an entirely different legal, you know, legal process, all of that. But it all tends to be from the PR perspective put together. That complicates this because it's not like it's in easy, clean streams. You did this, you fall there. You all sort of fall into the same bucket. Is this, uh, I guess, in terms of you know, talking with fire chiefs or fire departments, is this limited in terms of larger and career departments versus the volunteer sector, or is it widespread? No, it's it, this is a concern that should be widespread. It 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 and and a concern in that from your public relations end, if you're a small volunteer department or you're a large urban service, the accusations are, are the same. The the accusations once that me to accusation is made, the public relations and the communications for the department, both internal and external, become very complicated. And and where it gets more difficult for the leaders within this service, where it gets more difficult for them is that if you're the chief of a service, regardless of the size of it, and you may not be the accused, right? But if the accused is under your leadership, how you react to that, both pub, from a public relations perspective and a legal perspective, can define you. Mm-hmm. So you may have someone who's answering to you, and if that person is accused, how you handle it defines you as much as if you were the accused. How do you handle that then? That is the, that is the question I've asked of you before in terms of being the, a chief in a volunteer department and one of your volunteers is accused or you hear even the fact that this person may be accused or that is coming down the pipe. 
Is that something you should be reacting to as a fire chief in terms of a volunteer firefighter and saying you're no longer part of this team anymore just because we've heard? Well, I think the first thing is is that you need if you hear the if you hear it and and it can happen in a number of ways, right? There's a number of ways a Me Too accusation comes to light. It may be social media chatter or maybe a group on Facebook. It may be that. It may be a direct accusation, chief, this is what's happening to me under one of the people who work for you. It may be that. Or, you know, that it it may be gossip within the fire hall. There's so there's any number of ways. You may hear it at the Tim Hortons. If you're in a small community, you may just overhear it, right? And it that's the different ways it comes up. And when it comes up and when you hear it, you have to take it seriously. Does innocent until proven guilty not mean anything anymore? Or is that? uh... No, no. What I'm saying is, though, if you hear it, you have to look into it. Right. So if you start to hear the rumblings, you need to look into it. That's not to say that the firefighter gets put on leave. It's not to say someone gets terminated from their position, anything like that. But you need to start to take the steps to address it. I think prior to where we are now, you could put your hands over your ears for a little bit and or, you know, not kind of clear your desk and start to deal with this issue. But now in terms of the public relations around it, you need to take it seriously. And it may well just be gossip. It may well it may just well be, be that. It may well be, but you need to address it and, and you need to address it sooner rather than later. My experience has been they don't go away. You're addressing something, I guess, largely internally for a lot longer than the public realizes you're addressing it. Should you be going public uh, sooner than later? Well, I think the interesting part about Me Too's is that each of them has to be, there's no blanket answer. This is the other thing that makes the public relations around it challenging is that for a number of things, and, and when you look at firefighting and you look at it either from the command level or the, you know, the first-year firefighter level, there's standard operating procedures. That is how you operate. That's what makes a firefighter and a fire service successful, right, are your guidelines. And you follow the guidelines, right? There's this, we do that. There's this, we do that. This is counterintuitive to all of that because each situation needs to be dealt with as a one-off. No two, I mean, I've been, I've been working on Me Too cases probably for about three years, and I have yet to find two cases that are the exact same. There may be some similarities, but no two cases are the same. So those issues, we need to get a bit out of our our standard operating guidelines, mindset, and get into, okay, let's look at this. And and once you've kind of assessed the situation, I have a four-step process. I call it assess, monitor, plan, and sign off. So once you've assessed the situation, okay, this is, you know, gossip and whatever. Once you've, or this is this is a legitimate concern, and we have a couple of firefighters who are raising this concern, or we have a couple of residents, or we have a couple of our civilian staff, non-uniform staff, raising this concern. Once you've assessed it, from there is where you decide what your next steps are, and what you really need is a plan, and that communications plan lays out. Who's going to be our spokesperson? How are we going to address this? Are we proactive? Are we reactive? Are we all of those things? So it's very difficult to to say exactly how you would handle each situation. The other thing that is oftentimes forgotten or given sort of less weight to is your internal audience. 
And and that that really doesn't matter if you have, you know, there's no difference between if you have 25 firefighters or 2,500 firefighters. That internal audience communicating to them is critically important. It's what it's what message you I guess what message you give and, and keep within the family in terms of keeping them informed, correct? Exactly. And and that may be we're gonna start an investigation and that may be, you know, that may be we've heard you know, we've heard some rumors and upon further review there's no merit to them. That can be that's sort of your simplest, right? We've done this, there's no merit. Your most complicated is we've discovered there's some behavior within the department that is concerning for us. Therefore, we've brought in outside investigators there and we've, you know, we've put these people on leave. That's where it becomes the toughest is when you get into that situation where the investigators are in and people are put on leave and, and all of those. And I would caution anyone when you start to engage in this public relations counsel is important. Legal counsel is critical. What kind of advice would you give uh, to fire chiefs in terms of, you know, monitoring what their members are doing and, and being proactive in terms of getting ahead of anything in the community? You don't want to be the last person to hear about something, especially in a small department, correct? Right, 100%. And, and you know, there's, <laughs> I hate to use this analogy. I've tried for 14 years not to use this analogy, but where there's smoke, there's fire. Be, <laughs> just be, <laughs> just be on top of it. Be on top, know your department, right? Know your department. The the other thing, and I, I'm sure, Chief, you've been in these conversations when I've had them at um, various meetings, is you don't need to be on Twitter. Like, you don't need to tweet. I, I don't need you to be a rampant, you know, Twitter user like a couple of the chiefs I work with who are exceptionally good at it. You don't need to do that, but you need to be aware. You need to be aware of social media and what it means and the effect it can have. You know, I know that when, people get nervous, but you need yes. to understand it. When is the right time to develop a communications plan? Is after the incident, or should we be prepared before this or any other type of incident occurs? Well, I think, you know, for for the leadership in the fire service, a good half day would be spent with your key advisors around you, whether you have two advisors or two deputies or one deputy or a district chief or you know you're working with the municipality a a great use of time is to sit down for half a day and say what do we do if what do we do you know it was a saturday in july when chief officer in elliott lake when he showed up in the the mall roof it collapsed and all of a sudden he was a national news story you know that's those type of incidents, you hope they don't happen, but you train, you know, you train for those from a, from a response standpoint, from a response standpoint, you're always training your firefighters how to deal with the actual response. And I think it would be good practice for chiefs and the leadership of the service in all departments to say, let's plan for what we do if this happens, but what do we do with the communications and what do we do with the media and what do we do, you know, what does it look like? How is the mayor involved? How is, how are the elected officials involved? It, are we dealing to with the city manager to the mayor? Are we dealing, are we going to tweet it? Uh, the, all those questions. And I think, you know, a half a day, you can knock out a lot of those and then you have the start of a communications plan 
if the worst case scenario happens, if you have that career incident, if you have someone within your department who's been accused of, you know, me too, if you have someone in your department who's been charged with a criminal offense, you know, not, and it might not be sexual assault, but charged with another criminal offense, how do you handle that? And and just even thinking, spending just a little bit of time thinking about what we would do, it's way easier to have thought about it prior to getting to the incident and having to be at the incident and think, okay, who's going to call the mayor? Right. That's the, my the, the fire the, the the fire service has spent a lot of time building uh, building a reputation, but it takes very very little just to topple that, doesn't it? Well, I I don't know if you're a football fan. I love the NFL, and one of the things that J.J. Watts, who's a Houston Texan, says, and he's got an impeccable reputation when he goes to speak to Division One football players who are heading to the NCAA. He says. Every time you write a tweet, you read it 99 times because it takes a lifetime to build a reputation and one tweet to take it down. When we used to, I used to always say, you know, in the in the in the early days before social media, you judged the size of your event by the number of satellite uplink trucks were in your parking lot in <laughs> Vancouver. <laughs> right? No, it's <laughs> true. Exactly. Exactly. The good because old days. When, the good old days when when major market media would show up in small town, you knew you knew you had an event. And people were going to uh, to pay attention to it. But in general terms, uh, you know, as we sort of wrap up here, what is the next big thing? I mean, social media is changing and changing and changing, and there are different platforms coming out there. Is there something else on the horizon that you know of that we should be watching out for? No, I just think it. Well, I think it's just a further evolution of social media, and the the the, the further dissolution, I guess, of the rules. When you were reporting, you had rules. This was off the record. This is not off the record. This is my deadline. It's there's no there's no rules left. It's it's very difficult, and you need to be extra cautious as the spokesperson or the person who's leading the communications. You need to be extra cautious, and I think we're going to continue to see citizen journalism on on the rise in traditional journalism continue to shrink and it just puts more pressure more pressure on leaders of the fire service more mm-hmm. live coverage from people's phones of events and incidents and 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 always knowing that you are likely on camera and the days that people have limited data is is decreasing because data is being improved and unlimited data is out there. So it is just only going to get worse, I think, uh, in terms of people having the ability to to do live coverage more and more, for example. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, the, the other thing, one of the easiest things in all of this and the best piece of advice I can give is when you are the chief or the deputy or you're the spokesperson, when you walk into that room and you're going to have a news conference or you're going to have something like that, you are always on camera. So sometimes you see, and and there's, I use this in media training footage. I use footage out of the U.S. where you're about to go into a news conference on a major incident, but you and your colleague are sort of kibitzing in the back, having a little giggle, which may is not related to the incident, but the cameras are there. People are there with phones. And that's the view they catch of you. So when you're out of your office and when you're in the public domain at all, how you're standing, what you're saying, how you look, it all feeds into the message. And you should always be, once you are even close to that incident, understand that you are likely on camera. 
someone's picking it up and behave accordingly. I've always learned, and one of the best things I ever was taught back in the early days of broadcast training was that every microphone you see is on and treat it that way. Oh, 100%. That is, oh, you're always live. Always. 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 And that, that goes back before telephone, mobile phones, everything. Every microphone you see, treat it as being on. And uh, you you will you'll avoid the mistakes. And you know, I tie that into of all the speeches I've given in the fire service, I had one slide. I was speaking to the Ontario Association of Fire Chiefs on the Saturday morning of their general meeting, which was full of a range of career fire chiefs, volunteer fire chiefs. And I put a slide up and I said, Are you a fire chief or a frat boy? And one fire chief, I think it was Deputy Chief Hutton Ottawa, was full uniform, and then a fire chief out of the U.S. who was in a T-shirt and a ball hat. And I'm like, what are you? Are you a fire chief or a frat boy? I cannot tell you the number of times I've said to fire service leaders, put your hat on, put your uniform on. If you have to have a, your jacket and your hat in the car, keep them in your car because one day you're going to need them and you're going to be, you know, you're not going to want to show up to the scene and be in a t-shirt because you just came from your cottage. <laughs> have that stuff handy and have that hat handy and take off your sunglasses. Because how you One look of, and how you present is critically important in getting your message across. Absolutely. One of, one of my mantras uh, has always been, we can only go so far to protect people from themselves. <laughs> yeah. And I think that if, if people didn't do stupid things, you and I would be would be out of work, I guess. Wouldn't that be true? Well, I don't want to say that I, about my clients. I don't think no, that. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but, you know, it, it sort of comes down to it. The number, yeah, it, it's the moment we start enforcing common sense is the moment that I think we're uh, time to quit. Um, Karen Gordon, I appreciate it. Uh, as always, a pleasure to, to speak with you. I know people can certainly uh, find out more at your, your website, uh, for example. Give us the, give us the, uh, the address. It's gordonstrategy.ca, and you can get in touch with me uh, directly from there. And coming soon to a speaking engagement, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. Visit firefightingincanada.com and click on Hot Topics for more episodes.